Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Last week we uh, began a new message series titled Christianity 101. I'm going to start by asking this question, why would a church need to hear a series of messages concerning the basics of the Christian faith? Look around, we're all human beings. Human beings, we have this tendency to get off course. And sometimes we stay off course. So that's why we need a, a messages that will kind of help uh, remind us and get us back on course, at least to where we can make that decision and choose. Look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13.5. This is kind of the, the theme verse for the series. It says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Christ Jesus is in you unless you are indeed disqualified. There's a lot of yous and yourselves in that verse. Have you ever noticed? And remember, Paul's not writing this to unbelievers. He's not writing this to the unchurched in Corinth. He is writing this solely to believers who are a part of the church in Corinth. So let's not lose the context of this message. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Christ Jesus is in you? And there's some powerful words at the very end. Unless indeed you are disqualified. Paul encourages Christians to examine themselves in regards to the faith. Take a spiritual assessment of themselves. The word Paul used there in verse 5, test. The word test is important. In the original Greek, it can be translated as to examine, to scrutinize, or to prove. To see with whether something is genuine or not. And uh, we should test the genuineness of our faith. We should make that choice to choose and choose to test the genuineness of our faith. Will not this world test the genuineness of your faith? God will test the genuineness of your faith. We see that throughout the Word of God. However, the best way for us to make that assessment is to do that ourselves, to make that choice. The best way we can assess ourselves is the Word of God. And it's the best tool that we have. We take the Word of God, we read it, we study it, we allow it to speak to us. Uh, and I, this is a, a very familiar scripture, but just look at it uh, for me for just a second. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is what? It's living, it's alive, it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces it even to the division of soul and spirit. Man, that is such an important truth right there. And of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the Word of God can penetrate our inmost being. You know what? We can come to church, we can look like everything's fine and dandy, we can put on uh, uh, clothes, we can put on an act, whatever. But when you read the Word of God, it's living, it's active, and it can penetrate all that. It can get past all that veneer, past the flesh, past our religion, and it can get down to our inmost being. So when we allow the Holy Spirit to use the Word of God like a sword and expose our motives, expose our intentions, that's when we can address them appropriately. And when we address them appropriately, church, that's when transformation can really take place in our lives. So the Word of God is so key in tandem in the, in the Holy Spirit's hands. Look what James says in uh, James 1.22. But do not just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the Word and do not obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see for yourself. Walk away and forget what you look like. 
But if you carefully look into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you will do what it says and do not forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. The Word of God is alive. When we read it, the Word of God, we can read it, but here's, here's the real truth. The Word of God can read you. And that's what we should want. When we read God's Word, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Speak to me. Take this Word that's alive and speak to me. Penetrate my heart. Don't, don't just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I need to hear. Church, always, whenever you get into to that, that place of uh, your spiritual discipline of reading God's Word, don't look to, to prove what you want or, or what you need or whatever. Just read the Word and ask God to speak to you. And He will. He'll honor that. So the Word of God is alive. We can read it, but it has the power to read us. When we allow the Word of God to penetrate our inmost being, it automatically holds up this mirror. And listen, the reflection doesn't lie. The, the truth is in the mirror. Here's the reality. Sometimes we don't like to read the Word of God because we know it has the power to do that. Why would you ever want to do that? Why would you ever want to avoid the Word of God? God's not, God's not there just trying to, to hammer you down, to, to condemn you. He's trying to convict you so you can get to the place where you need to be, where you have greater peace and fulfillment. So the Word of God, it's like a mirror. It's a mirror to our soul, and it can give us an honest assessment. And when this happens, then we can see who we are, where we are, and where we need to be. Last week's message, we started our assessment at the beginning of our faith journey. And the moment we surrendered our lives to Jesus and we experienced new birth, you say, well, why do we have to start there? Because if that is wrong, everything else is wrong after that. If you're not born again, everything is wrong after that. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you can know and read. It doesn't matter what you believe, what you trust, what you think. You must be born again, period. So last week I asked you this question. Is salvation a formality or is it an experience? Is salvation a formality or is it an experience? And I would argue that most of the people in our community, they may not say this, but salvation is a formality. It's not an experience. And the words that Jesus shared with Nicodemus, I know I shared, you, shared with this last week, but it's, I think it's important for us to go back over just a moment. Look at these words. John 3, 3, Jesus replied. And look, Jesus is the Word made flesh, okay? Jesus is God in the flesh. When he says most assuredly, bank on it, guarantee, right? So most assuredly, I say to you, or very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So there's the truth. We must experience new birth. It's not a formality. In order to experience new birth, yes, we must believe in Jesus. We must believe in his finished work. But that doesn't mean you're automatically born again. There's plenty of people that, that are out in this world. They believe all the right things. They believe what happens in the Bible, but they're not born again. It doesn't automatically, believing doesn't automatically equate the experience of new birth. Salvation is not a formality. It's not about believing the right things. I can check off this list. I believe this. I believe this. I said this. I said it. And so, therefore, I'm in the club. My hand stamped. That's reducing salvation down to a formality, and it neglects the words of Jesus that he says where you must be born again. Paul writes about it this way, describing salvation and new birth. 
2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is a perfect description of what takes place when you are born again. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you are in Christ and have experienced new birth, you are a new creation. You are a new person. And I don't know about you, but when I gave my life to Jesus, I knew when that happened. I knew that when I bowed my knee, I said the prayer. When I got up, something was different. You know, I didn't have Holy Ghost goosebumps or anything. I didn't fall out on the floor, but something changed within me. Something had changed. The polarity of my heart had completely changed. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. Don't you think we should know that? Don't you think we should experience that? Shouldn't there be a difference? It shouldn't be that we just say a prayer and like, well, nothing's different. I mean, I have the same desires. I have the same uh, intentions. Some, something has to change. There has to be some evidence, some fruit. Again, I'm not saying perfection, and nor, nor will I ever say perfection, because there's no, it's impossible to be perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. But I am saying this, if you've given your life to Jesus and you are born again, you are changed. And you should know that. We should know that. The world can't tell you, I can't tell you, but you should know in your heart whether you're born again or not. New birth is a promise. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Look what God said through the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of flesh or stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I got those backwards. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Holt Assembly of God, when did this happen for you? When? When did this take place? When did that change happen? When did the Holy Spirit come to reside in you and change you and make you a new person? When? Paul's new birth experience is described this way. Shared this verse last week, Acts 9, 18. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, weights just fell. And he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Again, Paul's physical eyes were opened, but more, more importantly, his spiritual eyes were opened for the very first time. Here you have Paul who, who was raised a, just a, as a devoted, God-fearing Pharisee. But when Jesus comes into his life, something happens. He experiences new birth. The scales, the weights falls from his eyes, and he has this experience where he sees the world, sees himself, sees reality, sees truth for the very first time. The scales of sin and religion drop from his eyes, and he sees. Why? Why does he see? Because he has a new heart. He is a new person. Imagine this. Try, try to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Try to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Try to be a disciple of Jesus, a learner and follower of Jesus without the Holy Spirit, without new birth. Can I tell you this? That's impossible. You cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You must be born again. And that's what takes place when you are born again. Not only does he make you a new person, the Spirit of God comes to live within you. Are we not a temple of the Holy Spirit? That doesn't take place until we are born again. In order to be a child of God, a Christian, a disciple, we must be born again. Pastor, I love Jesus and all that. That's all that matters. Listen, you can say that all day long. 
But without the Holy Spirit in you, you cannot be a Christian. In fact, you can't even love Jesus without the Holy Spirit. So why would you even say that? Let's go back first. Let's look at that promise, that promise in Ezekiel. When God gives us a new heart and a new spirit, here's why. Check this out. Look what Ezekiel says. Here's why the Spirit of God will inhabit us and give us a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 27. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Not only does the Holy Spirit change us, he dwells in us and enables us to live out God's decrees. You cannot live a Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Listen, if that's the case, then why did Jesus need to die on the cross? Why did he have to be resurrected? Why did God send us the Holy Spirit? This coincides with exactly what Jesus said, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, you can't unless the Spirit of God is in you. Remember this, we're not talking about baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's something that's separate and subsequent to new birth. We're talking about new birth. It don't matter what denomination you are. If you give your life to Jesus and you are born again, that has no denominational boundaries. That is a Christian truth. You must be born again. See, we cannot keep the commands of Jesus unless we are born again. Therefore, if you love Jesus, you will keep his commands, correct? So you can't keep the commands of Jesus. Love him without the Holy Spirit. Are you following me today? Listen to what Jesus goes on to say. Look, that was verse 15. Verse 16 and 17, same context. Here we go. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you an, another advocate, who is the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. And if you're confused about that, and you're like, oh, I'm not sure about that. Next verse, the Spirit of truth. The advocate is the Spirit of truth. He's in you. He's with you. The world cannot receive him. So if you are not born again, you cannot receive him. But once you do, once you receive him, then he comes to live within you. The world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Oh man, church, when you are born again, you see your eyes are open. But do you, not, do you know him? For he abides with you and will be in you. Jesus tells us the Holy Spirit will abide in us and he will enable us to keep his word. Church, this is Christianity 101. I mean, honestly, this is just 101 Christianity. And I don't know why this becomes so difficult to, to hear or, or to even speak anymore. This is just basic Christianity. I mean, we get so busy talking about messages that really have nothing to do with salvation, nothing to do with anything that's important and eternal. But if we've got this wrong, we are wrong. It doesn't matter how good our marriage is or how good our life is or what we have or what we don't have. If this is wrong, listen, you step into eternity in the wrong position. In order to be saved from our sins and see the kingdom of God, Jesus said we must be born again. In order to be a true follower of Jesus, we must be born again. In order to fulfill God's, fulfill God's plan for your life, you must be born again. And this is why when we take a genuine assessment of ourselves, we have to start, start right there, the moment we gave our lives to Jesus. Nothing can be correct, made right spiritually, until we experience new birth. Look at this, Romans 8, 11, speaking of the Spirit of God, living in us, dwelling in us. A basic Christian truth. Romans 8, 11, Paul writes, And if, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Who are we talking about? The Holy Spirit, correct? 
And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. It's not by our own power that we love Jesus, obey his commands. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He empowers you. He enables you. He quickens you to live a Christian life. Could this be why in a religious community that there might be a lack of fruit and evidence? Because we have religion, but we don't have new birth. Just as the Spirit gave Jesus life to live, so also the Holy Spirit gives us life to live a Christian life, empowers us. Fortunately, there are many people in our community trying to be disciples without the Holy Spirit, and it's impossible. It's impossible. I'm sure it's frustrating. I mean, I can't imagine trying to do this on your own, your own power, your own strength. There are people who say, well, you can't work your way to heaven. I, I totally agree. Absolutely, 100%. But yet many people are. Try to work them. You can't, you can't, listen, you can't live for Jesus without the Holy Spirit. He empowers you. He enables you. I can't, I'm sure it's frustrating going through all the religious motions, trying to obey the commands of Jesus without a new heart without the indwelling, empowering of the Holy Spirit. When this happens, you know what it is? It's just all flesh. It's all just religion. It's no spirit. Christianity then, if that's the case, it will feel like this. It will feel very dry. It will feel very mechanical. It will be very unfulfilling. It will feel very religious. It won't be real. It won't be life-giving. It will just seem fake. It will just seem phony. Imagine trying to be a giver. I mean, aren't we called to be givers? Not just of money, but of all things. God gave. Jesus gave. This is our example. This is our model. Try giving without the Holy Spirit. Try being a servant without the Holy Spirit. Try being a disciple without the Holy Spirit. You'll feel like you're being taken advantage of. Well, they just want this. They just want that. You know what? Jesus wants it all. Because if you got it, you ain't saved. You know what I'm saying? If you try to hold back from him, I've heard it said this way. Becoming a Christian doesn't cost you anything. But it will cost you everything. It will cost your life. Your entire life. I understand there's grace, there's patience all mixed in with that. But down to the heart of the matter, if you try to hold on a piece of you and try to hold on to God, it's going to be impossible. Imagine trying to figure out God's plan for your life without a changed heart. If we get step wrong, one wrong, salvation, everything that's built on that foundation is incorrect. It's out of alignment, and it will fall. Mankind can become religious without new birth. Mankind can be very religious without new birth. I mean, look at the religions of the world. There are plenty, plenty of pious religious people. Some people live better than we do, but they do so without the Holy Spirit. And listen, that can be a very, very frustrating life at some point. Mankind can have a true, cannot have a true relationship with God without Jesus, without new birth. And there's a big difference between the two. So let's go back to that verse, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Remember, Paul's writing this. He's led by the Spirit, speaking this to you and I, to Christians. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified. That last phrase that I've highlighted there, unless indeed you are disqualified, 
Some, some other translations of the Bible help you get it in perspective. The NIV says, unless, of course, you are, in, un, unless, of course, you fail the test. The New Living Translation says it this way, you have failed the test of genuine faith. King James just comes out and says it, except ye be reprobates. He's writing this to Christians, or supposed Christians. Here the heart, but you say, man, that, that just, that sometimes all just seems harsh. No, that, that, those are words of love. I mean, hear the heart of God through these words. I mean, here's the sentiment that's being echoed. Are you ready? 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. By the way, God's patience with our sin, God's patience with our sin is not his approval. God's patience with our sin is not his approval of our sin. And I'm begging you all to listen to the Holy Spirit. I believe he's pleading. He's pleading with some of you today. Begging you to surrender completely, 100%. Lay it all out before him. Maybe you can, you've concluded this. Pastor, I, I'm born again. I know that I'm born again. I, don't, I, you know, I, can, I can take the assessment of myself. I know that I've, 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 been, I've experienced new birth. Good. The rest of the message is now for you. The second step in this assessment can be made by this, by answering this question then. If that's you, I'm born again, then here's what I would want to ask you then. I'm born again, but am I on the right path? Am I heading in the right direction? So you can be born again and be heading in the wrong direction. You say, I don't believe that. But again, you're going to have a problem with God's word. Here, check this out. Look at what Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, right? Revelation is not written to the world, it's not written to unbelievers. He's writing this to a church. Remember, he's giving the revelation to John. John's writing it down. The words are in red. Revelation 2.5. Remember, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You can be born again and go in the wrong direction. It happens. These words, again, are not addressed to unsaved people. They are addressed to Christians, people in the church of Ephesus. Jesus says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. What does that sound like to you? That sounds like an assessment. Where are you? Where have you been? Where are you going to? Where, what, what's going on with you? Jesus says, look back to where you are compared to where you started. Are you where you ought to be? What does Jesus say in response? Unless you repent. Unless you change course, change direction, change your heart, change your mind, get back on track, I'm going to come and take your lampstand from its place. You may say to yourself, come on, pastor, where's the grace? That is the grace. The grace is this, the fact that he doesn't do it, he warns, he gives ample time to respond. Isn't that the grace, the mercy, the long-suffering of God, his patience? Jesus is pleading with this church, begging them, Change course, change direction. You're going the wrong way. That's the grace of, grace of God. He didn't punish them immediately. Instead, he warns them, and he gives them ample time to respond. That's grace. And the Holy Spirit is pleading with some of us here this morning, begging us to get back on the right track. If that didn't get convincing enough, then look at this. The next church that I want to mention is the church of Laodicea. Revelation 3, 19, 20. Again, red words. Jesus speaking to the church through John. As many as I love, 
I rebuke and chasten. So if you feel rebuked, you feel convicted, thank God he loves you, amen? I mean, listen, is this love when your kids run around like heathens and you don't correct them? That's not love. That's not love. If you love them, you'll correct them. Why? Because they've got to grow up and live in this world. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Course correct. Change the way you're going. Go back the right way. Do you hear his voice? Do you hear his knocking? If so, he, if you answer, he will speak to you. Jesus won't bust the door down to your heart. He won't make you do the right thing. He'll stand and he'll knock. An invitation. Will you let me in? Will you allow me to help you? You know, where you're going is not the right direction. What you're doing is not the right thing. Can I help you? Again, you have to open the door. You have to be willing. See, we have a free will, and it's up to us to realize that, you know what, God's not just going to bust in and do it all for us. We've got to, we've got to kind of help him with this. I want to highlight something that complicates all this. So let's say this. You're born again. You're not going the right direction. You're not where you should be. I want to highlight something that really makes this assessment very difficult. And this is where some of you might be a little challenged here this morning. But please hear the word. Just hear the word. Are we living in the last days? The answer is that you don't have to be a theological genius to figure this out. The answer is yes. We're living in the last days because when Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the grave, he sent the Holy Spirit, that began the last days. So with that said, we're living in the last days, so consider these words, consider these verses. Imagine this, you're a believer, you've experienced new birth, but you aren't on the right path. You're not where you should be, you're not as dedicated, your, your love might be growing, growing cold. Has anybody, have, ever, have any of you ever gotten off path before? Listen, if I've gotten off path, I'm, I'm not perfect, I'm not saying that. Okay, are you not as devoted as you once were? See, getting off path, we're getting off path. Are you not as committed as you once were? Maybe you become complacent, withdrawn. Here's, here's what happens a lot when we go through things and we get off the right path, we blame others. We'll, we'll blame the pastor. We'll blame church folks. We'll blame our apathy on someone or something else. With that said, so living in the last days, that might be the condition. I'm not saying you're way off in left field and you're going to hell. Just you're not on the right footing, the right path. And if you continue to go down that path, then it's, that's another issue. But let's just stop right there and consider that. Living in the last days, maybe not going the right direction. With that said, consider these words. 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul says, in the last times, some will depart from the faith and will be misled by certain doctrines. I think there are doctrines, if exaggerated, can take a believer further off course. Why would Satan present believers a doctrine that is completely anti-Christ? He's not. He's always going to take something and present it that has truth, but is just a little skewed. Are you following me? So for those of you who think it's possible for someone who is born again to fall away from Jesus, what do you do with this verse? I mean, what do you do with that gigantic Easter egg in the middle and the yellow there? Some will depart from the faith, written to Christians, written about Christians. 
What doctrine do you think Satan would want to pervert the most in the last days? Remember, Satan doesn't come to deceive the fallen, the, the unsaved. He comes to deceive the saved. What, what doctrine, what belief do you think he can misconstrue the most and do most harm? I think it's really easy. It's called grace. If he can get some of us to believe a perverted version of grace, he can inflict great harm against people who are going the wrong direction. Jude warns about this. Jude 1.4, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, among believers. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Now more than ever, grace has been so misconstrued, it's used as a license for immorality. Grace is a wonderful thing, but it requires personal responsibility. Grace, the grace of God requires personal responsibility. Do we not have a free will? God does not show us grace so that we can live how we want and still go to heaven. Grace is not fire insurance. Grace is not this. I've said the prayer once. I got baptized, and even if I don't live right ever again, I'm still going to heaven because I believe. That's grace. No, that's not. That's a perversion of grace. It's this misconstrued understanding of grace. Grace then becomes a license for immorality. Look at this, Romans 6, 12. Paul, the champion of grace, writes, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, certainly not. We are those who have died to sin. How is that? Because you know what? We are a new person. How can we live it any longer? Listen, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you if you're born again. How can the Spirit of God tolerate that if you live in unrepentant sin and call that grace? The answer is he can't and he won't. That's why I, it makes me question the validity of someone's experience. If you're a born again, the Spirit of God lives in you. He has changed you. He is changing you under the grace of God, making you more like Jesus, not less like Jesus. How can we continue in sin? Aren't we a temple of the Holy Spirit? Listen to this. Jesus did not die on the cross, rise again, send us the same Holy Spirit who raised him from the dead to live in us, to dwell in us, so that we could live some half-baked Christian life. Listen, church, if we're not experiencing life and life to the fullness, aim for it, amen? Don't, don't settle for second best. Don't settle for religion. Don't say, well, I guess this is all they're supposed to be. No, no, no. You can't tell me that people who have experienced new birth cannot fall away because clearly the Bible says that they can depart from the faith. Why will some depart from the faith? Because they weren't where they needed to be and they stayed on that same path. Continue going the wrong direction. Now more than ever, the grace of God has been turned into a license of immorality. And some, some have allowed this ideal to take place in their own lives. Look again, look what Paul writes. Paul writing, again, the champion of grace. Look what he writes to Timothy. A pastoral letter. letter. Timothy, be, this is what's going to happen in the church. This is how you should handle the church. These are situations that will arise. For the time will come when they, being the church, being Christians, they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their what? Own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. That time has come. It's now. It's among us. Therefore, we need to be mindful of where we are in our relationship with Christ. 
If we aren't where we need to be, then church, let's get back there, amen? If we're frustrated, depleted, confused, we are very vulnerable. When you're vulnerable, you'll accept a lot of things. When you get frustrated, you'll accept second best. When you feel like God has let you down or the Word has let you down or your understanding of the Word has let you down, you, will, you are in a very precarious situation. That's why you got to, got to, got to know the Word. So why would we do this? Why would we consider or why would we uh, give way to a counterfeit? Why would we settle for second best? Because we have itching ears, because we're human beings. Itching ears is a figure of speech, right? It's describing people's desires. Needs, wants, being put in the first position rather than God being in the first position. Hey, listen, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure this out. You can be in the church for a long time, and you can see times where people go through times in their lives where it's about them, but they're born again. They go through these struggles. It's about them. It's about them. You can't stay there because if you stay there, you're going to get so frustrated. And believe this or not, God is allowing the frustration to take place, so you'll see the truth from the deception. Your heart, your head will deceive you. See, when we get off course, it's because the devil, it doesn't, it's not because the devil makes us do it, not at all. What happens is we get frustrated and we look for an alternative route. This is not happening for me. What's wrong? Maybe I'm just frustrated. When people have engineers, they decide for themselves what's right, what's wrong, and they seek the support of others. And boy, now more than ever, you can go on Facebook, you can find a, a large contention of people that will agree with you. Itching ears, concerned with what feels good or makes one comfortable, is a perversion of grace. They are, they are great bedfellows. Just that, to reinforce that, yes, you can be born again, but yes, you can get off course. You've got to course correct at some place. Don't say, well, you know, it's no big deal. No, don't, don't ever allow yourself to get off course and be comfortable there. Look at these couple examples here. First Timothy, again, Paul writing to Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted in your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. Timothy, some people are turning to this Gnostic version of the Gospels, which was what was taking place. Knowledge-based salvation They've departed from the faith. That, by the way, was a first century heresy that is well documented and is alive and well today. The Gnostic version of the, the Gospels. Some have professed this, this high calling of knowledge. Some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. Believers can depart from the faith. Look, if you don't believe that again, look, 1 Timothy 1.19, holding on to faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and have suffered shipwreck in regards to the faith. A shipwrecked faith. They've gotten off course and they've stayed off course. They didn't course correct. They ran aground. They ran against the reef, the rocks. They've crashed. They're, they're marooned. They're stranded. Grace is this. There is a lifeboat anytime they want to get on there. God will send them a lifeboat, right? It's not like they made a mistake, they're stuck there, and they're going to go to hell now. No, no, no. But I'll tell you this, they stuck, stay stuck in that island, maroon, they're not in a good position. If you believe grace is irresistible, and you cannot depart from the faith, how do you manage these verses? How do you manage these verses? 
Because if you say grace is irresistible, he says you can't be, if you're saved, you can't do anything but be saved. So if you're looking for a, a doctrine that could be perverted and do great harm, there you go. There's a great one. That if you get off course, and you stay off course, and you start to struggle, and you start to grasp for straws, I, I need to bring peace into my life. Man, this looks great. This is a whole lot better. Some of you have experienced new birth. Some of you have not. Some of you have experienced religion, had an encounter with religion, but not the living Christ. Please, please, please don't settle for the, the counterfeit. How do you know? Deep down, you know you're frustrated. Something's missing. You have no real urgency to serve, to give, to live your life completely for God. There's something always holding you back. It's like those, have you ever seen those, those uh, blow-up games where you had the bungee cord stuck in your back, and you take off running, and then that thing snaps you back? I mean, it's just like that that takes place. There, you want to, you go, you go forward, but something just snaps you back. Could it be, could it be you're just not born again? You want to go to heaven, you want to do the right thing, but something's missing inside you. Something keeps you from committing. Are you born again? If the answer is yes, but you feel this way, maybe I've gotten off course in some areas of my life. Course correct. You're saved, but you aren't growing. You're growing maybe more dissatisfied and complacent. If you don't change course, church, you're in a very precarious place. You may seek out a different message, a new practice, something that will satisfy your soul. And it always ends up in this, disconnection from the body of Christ. People have just got dissatisfied, gotten off course, and they don't look inside. They don't take that assessment, and they blame everything else, everyone else, the first thing they do is they'll disconnect from the body of Christ. If you go to them, I'm a Christian, but deep down, something inside is wrong, and they know it. They just won't admit it. And I'm praying the Holy Spirit will speak to you this morning, if that's you. I pray that he'll help you to get where you need to be. That's the grace of God. Pray the Holy Spirit will examine your heart, reveal truth to you. I pray that you will have the courage to stand up, stand against your own pride, and do what's right for you. This is your eternity. This is your salvation. This is your walk with God. Jesus is knocking on your heart. Do you hear his voice? And if so, then open the door and let him in. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.